Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Severio Bianchi, who is the founder and CEO of Atelier and Avenue. 16 years and 50 iconic brands later, Severio drives e-commerce acceleration faster than ever in luxury, fashion, and beauty. With clients in London, Paris, New York, San Francisco, and Melbourne, Severio and his boutique strategy firm coaches and advises VCs, founders, CEOs, and executives in e-commerce, marketing, and CRM strategy through execution. Severio is also a speaker at international conferences and writes about e-commerce leadership on his blog, SeverioBianchi.com, and that's S-A-V-E-R-I-O-B-I-A-N-C-H-I. Had a wonderful conversation with Severio. I hope you all enjoy it, and without further ado, Please welcome in Severio Bianchi. Severio, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. Now, this is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, you know, it's always interesting to talk to founders and folks that are kind of in the grind every day, kind of doing this idea to inception. And I like your perspective, one on founding your company and getting started, but really how you're in the grind of all these different businesses. So you're kind of seeing kind of a bird's eye view of a lot of the D to C play and a lot of things that are going on besides just being stuck in one organization. So I'm really curious to get a lot of your thoughts around that. Um, But I thought we'd start because, you know, this is the Just Get Started podcast. And the fact that you decided to take some leaps of faith, if you will, start an organization, kind of do some different things. Can you kind of give us a little bit of the origin story? Like, how did you get into like D to C and, and how did you come to help a lot of these folks? Like, why did you even want to go down that path? Where, where did that come from? Sure. Um, I would like to say that it was a grand plan. There was this big, well-designed strategy many years ago. But the reality is that I just... Uh, followed my curiosity as I started working. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you go back, if we, if we go back to when I started, uh, when I finished uh, uh, university, actually before I finished university, I was super lucky to uh, have my first working experience in Ferrari Automotive at the headquarter in Italy. So it was sensational experience. I spent the first spent the first uh, seven years of my career there. And um, I studied business. So, you know, like anyone who studied business, I think, uh, uh, knows that you kind of study a little bit of everything, but, mm-hmm. you know, very little of that is really in, in depth. And so I allowed myself to just follow what, you know, uh, opportunities uh, uh, I had in front of me and... Um, really followed the curiosity, especially around online. And so the first, uh, uh, as soon as I had the opportunity and I was passionate about the internet, I was, it was like really early days. We're going back like 16 years now, mm-hmm. which is uh, in digital and e-commerce uh, is like dog years, right? Probably even more. So, well, if you think about it, like what YouTube came around in like Oh five and, Yes. I mean, even even Facebook 04, I think you start like that. That was about the time of it. It was still very early. Yeah. Internet. And, and for sure, for sure, in the US, you guys had yeah. experienced it a lot sooner than we did back in Europe. As yeah. uh, uh, as you know, I'm Italian uh, and uh, lived abroad for a long time, lived in London for 12 years. And uh, now I'm in Amsterdam. Um, uh, but fundamentally, as a. Uh, as we were, as I was, you know, experiencing working in that amazing business, and then I had the opportunity to 
uh, be exposed to a, a number of projects first on you know online procurement and then on uh, uh, um, on the CRM side of things and then the e-commerce side of things as soon as I moved on the uh, uh, let's say client side of the business uh, customer facing side of the business it started it completely you know uh, uh, made me made me click literally and I was like okay this is this is a space that I like how much did I learn about internet in university absolutely zero because mm -hmm. it just wasn't part of the curricula back then and so as soon as I could I tried to you know volunteer myself into you know uh, any project that came up that was related to the internet whether it was internal systems or internet stuff or or you know uh, uh, facing the rest of the world so um, anything around e-commerce and digital and crm and all those things i absolutely fell in love with it but just by purely experimenting with it and back then it was you know the online was the thing that businesses would leave like kids play with and yeah. <laughs> oh he's young he's gonna he's gonna look at it and so there was a there was a, a blessing in disguise because um um, I had the opportunity to to play with a lot of different projects and I had the opportunity to be on the client side, um, collaborating with uh, some of the most amazing consultancy companies, you know, and strategy consultancy companies, tech companies and so on. And so I just started absorbing as much as I could and let me, you know. Uh, proud nerd geek however you want to call it <laughs> and I'm very very proud of it I just followed the curiosity and so fundamentally found myself into you know playing and working on things that I really really enjoyed and so I was like okay this is this is something that uh, really makes me happy I enjoy the discovery of it and the fact there's always something new going on and again, we're going back uh, many years now. And uh, I can pay my bills with it. I can actually make a living with it. I was like, great, sign me up. So I doubled down and, uh, and as much as I could, I would take on more projects and more projects and um, within the business. And then at some point, I was like, okay, this is great. I'm ready for the next step. After seven years in Ferrari, I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I took a sabbatical, went to UC Berkeley to take a specialization in marketing and broader in, in digital. And um, coming back uh, to Ferrari for a few months, I had my eyes on London. For me, London was going to be the place to, to be and the place to uh, start my career. Uh, I mean, accelerate my career and start more yeah. the senior part of my career. And, and being in London was possibly one of the uh, best uh, strategic decisions that I took along the way. And so how did I, going back to your initial question is how, how did I, how did I start? Um, I started my business, my consult strategy consultancy business um, 10 years ago. We're coming up to 10 years. And um, that was uh, two years after I was in London and I had moved a couple of uh, jobs and <laughs> doing e-commerce there. Sandra, can, can I interject? Because I, I like the, the path here. It, did you go to London working for Ferrari then? No. Okay, so no. you decided to leave there and pursue mm -hmm. another opportunity. Okay. Which is, I think, I think it's actually, thanks for bringing that up. Cause I think that's a, that's a very interesting point and fitting with the theme of your, uh, of your podcast, um, which is um, when you're so incredibly lucky, like I was to start your career for, you know, one of the most recognizable and strongest brands in the world and an amazing company. Um, it's kind of a double-edged sword because on one side, gigantic opportunity. You get to see and live and breathe from idea creation to the kind of roaring final product coming out of the plant. Everything happens in this little town in the north of Italy. Everything is awesome, amazing people and all of that. But then the downside is it's such a powerful brand that a lot of people would just not dare leaving it. 
and and it becomes such a big part can become and and really shouldn't become like any other amazing brand shouldn't become too much of your identity and so early on i realized that i absolutely loved it her there but i i needed something new i needed uh, uh, to double down on uh, digital even more although we did some amazing projects there i wanted more and um I realized, uh, yeah, it's great, but uh, no one's going to take that away from me. So I can just uh, take the leap and go for something else. Let me ask you this, because this does come up a lot. Is so obviously the digital stuff, right? You didn't really know that until you got into Fry, right? That's something you discovered. But if we were to go back to university to even prior, did you always have an... I don't know how I'm going to ask this. I mean, it's kind of like the, did you have a gut feeling like you were different? Like, like, I, I don't know how it was over there. I know in America growing up, it was go to college, get a nice entry level job, work your way up, start a family, get a nice house, kind of just, that was the, the, the you know, the norm, if you will. And kind of this thinking outside the box, finding other, you know, ways to go about it. I didn't know if you thought about that prior. And then when you got into Ferrari, you kind of just compounded where it's like, I want to do more. Here's an opportunity. Or was it not as glamorous as that? I don't know. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer that on, with, with two parts, uh, with the two parts answer. One is um, a lot of what I do now is marketing or marketing related, right? Like the technology, the sales online, but marketing is a huge part of it. I absolutely hated marketing in university. I could not stand it. <laughs> I just did the bare minimum to get through. I was a finance guy. I knew I wanted to do finance absolutely and um, or something else in that space. So there was not a special proclivity in that in that direction. But was I did I feel like I was different? Yes, I felt like I was different and thankfully, I found other people that were different like me uh, in in university because, fundamentally two years in and I was already sick and tired of studying I just could I could I would find it extremely boring and I just wanted to get in the market and do a real job and be practical and and build something and do something and so I was very lucky because in my university there was this kind of student association uh, student-run association, which was basically a pro bono consultancy company, just run entirely by students, and which is part of a European network of uh, um, of these kind of associations, which are called junior enterprises, which were a fantastic opportunity for me to um, start working with symbolic pay and uh, but start working and start being accountable not just to professors on you know the exams and all that stuff but being accountable to clients uh they were not you know i mean they were simple projects but it, it was really eye-opening i was like oh my god i really love this i really love helping uh, uh, people and organizations be better at something, deliver like a real work. And so there are, I managed to do that for the last two years in, in uni. And whilst I was finishing the studies and I was like, okay, um, that's definitely a direction. Mm -hmm. The love for the internet uh, came uh, by playing with it uh, yeah. after. Well, and, and you mentioned something, if I if I heard correctly around when you're at Ferrari, these kind of projects, it was like, oh, you're the young guy. Yeah, you probably understand this. That kind of reminds me of a little bit, which I, I, we probably don't have to get down this rabbit hole today, but I think, you know, organizations should be doing more and more is around facilitating entrepreneurship and letting people kind of broaden away from their kind of normal stagnant role that it can be. Is that what you've kind of found is you were able to do a lot of this digital stuff, a lot of the online projects more by just raising your hand and saying, hey, I don't mind doing this, which ultimately, again, led you down a different path than otherwise if you just kind of stayed in, in your lane, you know? Absolutely. Um, trying different things. And it, I, I think one of, the, one of the key things that always played in my favor was um, paradoxically uh, not having a passion 
like to begin with. And this resonates a lot when, when I watched your episode with Seth Gordon, where he says you shouldn't have a passion, like telling people to follow their passion is a really dangerous advice. And I loved that part. And me not having an, an, an absolutely defined passion back then was actually an advantage because I was like, okay, um, some people that I knew just knew they wanted to do A or B or C and whatever. I was like, I don't know what I would want to do when I grow up. I am just going to expose myself to as much variety as I can, following my gut in terms of interest and curiosity. But all in all, um, just uh, just go for it and and try new things. So yes, raising my hand in meetings with you know executives, my line managers, and whatnot in the organization, and say, I can do that. I can look after that. We're replatforming the e-commerce website. Never done it before, back then, 16 years ago. I'll I'll do it. I'll give it a go. We're working with the with the consultants, with the agencies, and so on. So there were the experts in the room, and I just needed to help kind of coordinating. So the avenue to that was project management. And uh, I, I always, I mean, as I started, uh, uh, I wrote my thesis on it. I loved project management and all that side of things. So I had the discipline that you could deploy on a variety of different. Uh, uh, I had learned the discipline first on the books and then in reality um, to manage a complex project that allowed me to kind of stick my had my nose into a number of different projects that were completely out of my domain yeah. of expertise. And uh, uh, that opened a lot of doors. And then the next step to that was making sure that every single time I was in a meeting with someone who I knew was way better than me, way more experienced than me in a specific domain that I was interested in, to ask a million questions. Mm-hmm. I was basically the the young kid in the company that would sit next to the IT guy. I would like explain to me how how these systems are integrated. Explain to me how a relational database works, and that was not part of my job description. None mm-hmm. of that was, and uh, and so build this little kind of. Uh, 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 brick by brick kind of uh, almost like a Lego uh, of understanding of all these little bits for me was uh, was super useful because then I was over time able to switch domains which is something that is the core of what we do what I do today with my business. Well, you make a great point if I could just underscore that. And and yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that Seth interview. That was a that was a fun one for me. And and I remember when he was talking about that. And a lot of the stuff, obviously, I, I've listened to him over the years. He talks a lot about that. Cause I I'm so big on finding your meeting. Find, I call it the North Star. What's that? What's that in the distance? What's that thing? But if you have that, totally different than a passion, is you don't get sucked down just one rabbit hole, one area. To your point. You kind of, it's kind of like the whole just get started mission. I'm, you know, it's like I could just do the podcast because it's like, oh, well, I want to, you know, do podcasts. Well, no, it allows me to write the children's book and blog and coach and all these other things because there's no like set, you have to do this. And I think to your, and same with kind of what you're doing with your company, it's like, no, there's a lot of other disciplines that lead up to the greater mission, right? So there's a lot of other areas that you could uh, poke around in. So yeah, I think that's a great point for anyone out there listening in is like, you might love something, but I think being the, what's not the dumbest, but the least knowledgeable person in a room mm. is awesome to, you know, it's incredible. You got to ask questions. Absolutely. You got to learn, you got to simplify it. Right. Because you're not mm. going to go deep down it. Yeah. Yes. And, um, I, I don't know. I have no idea how it happened, but at some point it clicked to me that it was okay to ask questions and it was okay to, uh, not be afraid of looking dumb or like uh, unprepared in a meeting. And the the more I did it, the more for the next meeting, I was, you know, soon, soon enough, I was the one who knew more about all these different domains. And so that allowed me to jump from one to another and to help, you know, uh, like my boss my, and, and the rest of the executive team just make better decisions. And I've always loved that, like being... I talk about it as in 
uh, these days I talk about it uh, when I'm coaching like uh, e-commerce leaders and, and, and executives, but also founders. Um, it's important to position yourself as much as possible as, and this is valid for young people as well, starting up as a, almost a human API, right? Mm -hmm. You're like being that connection, that adapter between two different worlds. Uh, in my case, it was making marketing and uh, IT tech speak and speak the same language. Uh, and this was way back when marketing was not at all about tech right. and, 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 and digital and systems and data. It was uh, all uh, a, a whole lot of other things, mostly. Um, same goes uh, when you have to connect and speak different languages and make a board communicate with an execution team on the ground you know one is speaking financials the other one is speaking technical terms and terminology whether it's trading or you know e-commerce mm -hmm. trading or or the tech so the more um uh, the more i could expand little by little the, the various domains and the more i could learn how to translate one to the other in very simple terms um, the more it helped me accelerate my career. Mm -hmm. And when I landed in London, that was a like put in sixth gear. There was something that, that, uh, the reality, uh, really allowed, uh, um, what I liked to do to, to flourish and open lots of opportunities. Yeah. That's a great, I'm glad you circled back to that. Cause that's where I actually wanted to go quickly is, or we don't have to be quickly, but this depends. You mentioned you go to London and then you mentioned something along the timeline of two years, like maybe you worked at an organization at that time. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm filling, maybe you fill the gaps in for me. I get, my question is you didn't like start your own thing right away. Were you doing that in the background a little bit as you were at another role and kind of thinking and ideating, or was there kind of like a, you know, kind of more of a inflection point where you made the change from one to the other and then went on your way? So I moved to London because I found from Italy um, a job as an e-commerce manager at a luxury beauty brand. Um, and um, so like full-time job. And so I was like, okay, perfect. Uh, this is the right way to move and to move with a secure job. And I can get into London and, and start, you know, the new chapter. Um, so I just threw myself into it. And trying to do as uh, uh, as good a job as uh, as I could, as best as I could, and then, you know, that that voice in the back of my head of mm, you should be your own boss, <laughs> you should do, you should really do your own thing, um, uh, paired with you know, kind of a general uh, problem with authority that I've always had. Um, I was like, this is this sounds like sounds like a good idea. And so after that, I was like, you know, uh, back then I didn't have kids. And so uh, the, um, the risks were very, very minimal. So, and especially after getting the feel for the job market there, the reality was there was so much demand, like there is so much demand today um, for uh, e-commerce management expertise. Uh, that I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I can take a calculated risk and uh, uh, worst case scenario, I'll go back into corporate if it doesn't pan out. And so I left, <laughs> I left that job after, after the first year, started freelancing, got my first client literally, I think five days after leaving that job, my last day at the previous job and uh, did a very small like uh, mission, like two, three weeks quick uh, uh, assessment, so to speak. And uh, they immediately <laughs> offered me a full-time role uh, to, to head all their e-commerce uh, uh, business and CRM globally. This, we're talking a retailer. So like a bigger size, bigger responsibility and so on. So I put my consultancy, it was such a good offer that I could not give up on that. So I put my consultancy dreams on, on ice for just a few more months and um, spent a little over a year there. Loved it, rebuilt a team, replatformed the website, ran the trading, you know, like the whole e-commerce uh, spiel, you know, Monday morning trading meetings, 
explaining to an old school CEO why conversion worked in a certain way, why certain channels operated in a certain way. So it was it was massive learning curve and and managing a big team for the first time. And uh, that was great, lots of transformation. And after like 12, 13 months, uh, most of the heavy lifting of the change had happened. Mm -hmm. And I was just about running the gig day in and day out. And I did that for a couple of months. And I was like, this is boring. Um, I think this is the right time uh, to actually get my consultancy independence uh, dreams out of the ice and uh, and uh, put it into practice and then that's when I actually started but not in parallel I was so busy learning and trying to absorb as much as I could from these new responsibilities and all these roles um, that um, at some point I told myself I still didn't have kids back at that point um, I had enough money in the bank to be able to you know pay rent and, you know, live normally uh, for six months, uh, a buffer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, this is, this is enough. This is enough. In worst case, I go back into corporate. There is a demand for this kind of expertise. I'm going to give it a go and uh, knock on wood. It's uh, 10 years later. I haven't gone back to corporate. <laughs> How did you get your, well, you, you could take it in both ways. We can go to that first client, which I ended up hiring you, but maybe even more, I guess, would, would be interesting here is you left. How did you get your next client? What was that? <laughs> what was that first one after of, of your second stint, if you will? So, so um, they say it's, you know, Steve Jobs said it's much easier to connect the dots backwards than, yeah. than forwards, right? Um so the first client was a massive group uh, who uh, interviewed me to hire me as a digital director for their biggest brand in the UK. And for the sake of, you know, uh, um, leaving no stones uh, unturned, I went to, to the interviews and to see what the thing was about. In that case, they made me like a sensational offer back then. It was a sensational offer. But in that case, I, I refused it. Because uh, it was like, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to take the leap and I'm ready to consult. And so I said, thanks, but no thanks. And then they came back two weeks later. Okay, but can you help us as a consultant? Mm -hmm. And so that got my foot in the door in this big group. There was, you know, beef, really early, early days in digital. Uh, um, they're uh, much, much further along now. And uh, it opened the door. So the first few projects, I managed to do them for these guys. And, uh, uh, and that was incredible. Now, 10 years later, I've done like 26 projects with them globally. And uh, in, in addition to a whole uh, uh, large number of other, of other businesses. Um, the second, but to answer your question, the second client was completely unrelated to the first one, uh, was purely by word of mouth. Um, someone in the business had in the in the first client's business knew me. They recommended me to somebody else. And like, have a chat with Saverio. He's you know he's an interesting guy. He works in this space. Maybe he can give you some advice. Because and and so there the mechanism of the word of mouth started, and I had never experienced it. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is like. Um, and that shortly after, and again, here, I would like to say it was a big plan, but it wasn't. I just right. followed my guts and, and it took me there. Right. I was like, um, I was never particularly good to sell myself. And, uh, and I'm still working on it. Um, but at some point it clicked with me that I did not need to do marketing to market myself or market my business, but it would have been much more valuable because it had proven like that for a few times in a row to actually just focus on the delivery. And so just focusing on the delivery of the projects uh, and over-delivering over on the expectations that were set with the clients made so that these clients became like, you know, a large part of them actually became good friends 
And in general, they became like brand evangelists <laughs> for me. And so I mean, oh, you need to speak with this guy. Oh, you need to speak with that lady or, or, or whatever that is. And so I realized I don't need to do any classic marketing or any paid media or any of that thing for my business. I just need to focus on doing a killer job, making sure that whenever we deliver to a client, um, you know, they're very happy with it. And, you know, little by little, it crystallized in my mind the, um, the fact that basically, um, you know, uh, I used to say uh, the, the returns on the extra mile are nonlinear. So like the extra, going the extra mile and over delivering on, on an expectation of a client or anybody else has a return that is much more than linear. And so, which mean, which meant it brings more business, it brings more contacts, brings repeated business and so on. So 10 years in, I think in 10 years, I spent three grand in total <laughs> in, in marketing just by redesigning in a very cost-effective way my website three times. So um, no advertising. And so the delivery and the... Ma- and the uh, the quality of the relationship built with these people really was what got yeah, the flywheel. Well, you make a, a great point with the um, like the referral business. I'm actually reading right now. I'm not sure if you ever read the book uh, called Give and Take by Adam Grant, but it actually kind of reminds mm-hmm. me like your story a bit. Like if you're a giver, if you just say, I'm doing this kind of because I want to do great business. I want to make this a, you know, um, yeah, I want a great partnership with this client, but it's also, I just want to deliver. It's, you know, I kind of look at the same. It's like, Hey, if my reputation's on the line, I want to give you over a hundred percent if that's possible. Right. I'm going to give you as much because I know it's, it's on me, right. It's my name behind it. So I think if you just go into it, with that attitude, it may never do anything for you, but there's a good chance that people are going to want to take care of you later on because you took care of them with no strings attached, you know, hundred percent. I'm a big believer in giving and and just giving Mm -hmm. and um, just I I experienced it on the ground. This is not just regurgitating something, you know, I I read on the 100, uh, you know, Instagram or or Twitter inspirational accounts and whatnot. I realized it actually works. It actually works and it fits well with my personality. And so and this is something that I keep working on in the sense of trying to morph what I do more and more to fit how, uh, how um, I feel, how uh, my personality is and how I like to deal with people. And mm-hmm. so over time, <clears throat> that allowed to, <clears throat> sorry, allowed us to, uh, allowed me, and I say us because from a one-man band over the years, we managed to grow into a boutique, you know, consultancy firm, um, which by design, I decided not to scale because I genuinely think that the moment you start scaling uh, uh, strategy, consultancy, and, uh, you know, e-commerce acceleration, which is what we do, uh, you lose the quality. The quality goes downhill very, very quickly because you need to start having, you know, uh, uh, young kids doing the job and and so the quality little by little just uh, goes down so I decided to keep it at a really really strong uh, uh, small group of really really strong operators and so that made the difference um, but um, um, I lost the point <laughs> well you're just talking about I think we were, well that's okay we <laughs> you were in a moment there um, no we were talking about just the whole idea of like and, and and I think this I probably goes to the point of being a boutique you that's just who you were you're like I want it most yes. likely again I'm trying to get in your head but like I want it small I want it where you know we can make the decisions on the ground floor we can kind of do everything with the clients it's not once it gets to a 500 person agency, there's all this oversight, you can't control the the talent sometimes because there's a lot of different, you know, so I think keeping it smaller probably goes back to who you are as a person. And you want that kind exactly. of intimate touch, you know, spot on, uh, Brian, because the intimate touch, um, working with people that I can trust with not just my life, but the life of my kids. So not just exceptional professionals, but also people like that I can share 
a genuine, like really good friends and people I can share like real values with. And so I know that I don't need to control. I know that if we are delegating, splitting a, the, the work on a specific project, I am absolutely sure that the result is going to be stunning. And I know that that's the delivery that's going to be perceived by the clients. And so, so that was on first on one side on who do I want to work with, with me in my team. And, and, and before that was how do I, how can I work in a way that um, uh, feeds my curiosity? So like, you know, being able to work on multiple projects, multiple clients and seeing different things and, and absorbing and learning. So what I was telling earlier about my early years, it just, you know, multiplied by doing consultancy. And, and that for me was, uh, uh, was really great. It just made me happier and happier. And now that we are like 10 years in, in the last few years, then now the selection has moved, for, for, thankfully for quite a few years now, has moved to the selection of the clients being able to select what type of clients we work with, what type of clients we don't need uh, because um, uh, there's not a good fit, whether it's a cultural, uh, you know, chemistry fit, whether there isn't a, uh, let's say, an open-mindedness, let's say, on the other side, to be actually willing to learn. Um, I'm not in this business to go through the motions of consultancy i don't care about that i i really really genuinely enjoy seeing um, uh, people's eyes light up when a different perspective uh, finally clicks in their mind and when what we talk about and work together on uh, really really clicks and so yeah. I'm, I'm morphing the offering and what we do, but over time we're also morphing more and more um, the kind of clients that we work with, which is, it's a blessing. Yeah. You know, it's so funny you said that it kind of reminds me, I was, um, you know, with some of the sales coaching I do for entrepreneurs, I, uh, it reminded me of a conversation I was having with someone the other day about this whole concept of like, you can't just choose it. Like every client that comes in wants to pay you money. Sure. Yeah, technically, yes, you can accept it. But is it the best thing to do? Because you have to work with those folks. Like if you don't like working with them, if they don't have the same values and, and shared interest. And, you know, I, and I and I and I gave the, the, the coaching them on two different fronts. One is you have to work with them every day. But two is, how are they perceived in the world? Because if they're the ones going out and saying, hey, go work with this person, you know, i.e. what you know, your business how is their reputation? Because now does that look as good with them mentioning your name or not? You know what I'm saying? So I think those, you know, yeah, keeping those people that you you work closely with, uh, those clients, especially in that intimate setting, they got to be people you trust and respect and, and you know, want to kind of go to battle with, for lack of a better phrase, every day, you know? A hundred percent. And also it's the opportunity cost, right? When you're engaged in with a client that, um, that is not the right fit, you know, at, at, uh, at, let's say financial parity, like commercial parity of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, that's time you're not spending finding a better client that mm-hmm. is a better fit. And especially when, when, you know, um, the making the revenue isn't uh, for the business, isn't as important as perhaps it was in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that gives you a ton of freedom to say, well, you know, if I engage with this client that doesn't quite fit or, or maybe we had a project and that went mm, so-and-so, so a second follow-up project, maybe we deprioritize it or just don't take it. Um, it means that you have the time and the energy and the focus to uh, instead find and or work for a for one that is a better fit. And so, like you're saying, ultimately the, uh, the final result is more than the sum of the parts because it's the chemistry, it's the money, it's the uh, quality of the relationship and what can come beyond that and how the outside world uh, perceives it, 100%. But again, this was not an, a big plan, a big strategy. I had to get hurt 
uh, a bunch of times in different ways uh, over the 10 years to learn, oh, hang on, this is a bad idea or that is that is a bad idea or I could do that better. So next time I iterate, <clears throat> I'll make sure that I manage the expectations better. I make sure that I push back. I make sure I, I learn how to say no also throughout a project. Um, there's many, many things that uh, uh, I learned and I'm still learning. Everyone, I think, is and should be always is, learning. Is there a, uh, I'll put you on the spot, is there a story that hurt you pretty <laughs> bad that you're willing to share? Oh, Wow. Uh, you can leave names out. How much have we got? <laughs> <laughs> how long have we got? Um, so there's there's a few, of course. There's thankfully not that many, but like I can count on on less than one hand of experiences. Um, one a few years back um, uh, for a big client. Um, basically, the scope was defined. Expectations were managed and great but then at some point the client started and i had a very good relationship with the, the person before working together and then once as soon as we started working together it was a little got a little odd because it was trying to uh, kind of instrumentalize what we were doing for like some secondary agenda in the business and i just didn't like that because and and so i got pushed a bunch of times to you know um uh, articulate some of our recommendations in a certain way that was serving his other agenda versus what the real thing was. And I, obviously I refused to do that um, because it was unethical. It was just plain wrong. Um, but at the same time, I was trying to, you know, uh, keep the relationship warm and, and trying to salvage the rest. I should have just, you know, drawn a very straight line, have a, uh, some uh, tough love uh, kind of conversation with the person and just say, you know what, that doesn't work. That is not the right thing to do. I don't do that. We don't do that. And um, so let's reframe what is it that you need from this. Otherwise, we can just uh, part ways and uh, and stay friends. Um, another time, uh, in a CEO, another example, uh, this was, this was not a painful story because I just, I just simply said no. So I learned from that. And then, uh, in, in the last couple of years, it happened a, a CEO of a DTC brand, um, well, omnichannel really, uh, brand. Um, we were doing a big, like a data science piece for them on, uh, customer lifetime value and, and, you know, sustainability and growth and all that jazz. And as soon as we ran more advanced, because we have data scientists on our team as well, as soon as we ran the numbers that they never looked at in that part from that part through that particular lens, uh, these numbers started showing a pretty painful picture as to how they were operating on a certain part of their business. And um, I was like, this is it. We ran the numbers four times to make sure that we didn't make any mistakes. And the CEO asked for, um, asked to uh, run the numbers on, rerun the analysis on some made up numbers because they had to present it to the, <laughs> to the investors with a different light. I was like, I'm sorry. This is uh, that's not ever going to happen. Yeah. So this is the report. Do with it, however, whatever you want to do with it. Present it, don't present it. But that's just it's absurd and and just plain wrong under many points of view. So that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, this is a, just a taste. Are there any um, questions? Maybe that's over ten years that you found have been helpful, like when you're working or trying to evaluate a potential partner, and you're maybe close to that partnership. Is there any questions that come up that have been helpful to either pull out some red flags or to confirm, hey, this is a great fit? Anything specific that you'd share for folks out there that maybe they're trying to bring on their first few clients? What questions they should potentially ask? Questions uh, for the clients. Yeah. You so you, like you went to that scenario, you were telling the, the, the story before the CEO story. 
about how they kind of had like this alternate agenda. Like, could that have come up prior to even partnering together? Potentially, I don't know if it could have, or you could have seen that. I'm just curious if there's anything you think Very good question. Yeah. Very good question. Um, uh, Partially, I want to say yes. Uh, you can never be completely in, you know, read somebody else's mind uh, at all the times. But I think partially, yes. And um, which is trying to understand and ask and trying to understand in, you know, more veiled or more direct, whatever your style, your favorite style is, preferred style is, um, what are the real objectives of your you know your interlocutor right so what do they what is their ultimate objective what what does it mean for them what do they want do they have a promotion that they're that they're uh, uh, pushing to do they have a, <clears throat> are they going for is their number one objective the sales target for example because that's going to trigger their bonus or 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 whatnot um trying to genuinely understand what are the incentives that push and drive the person that you're speaking with. Mm-hmm. And this, I think it's valid both for collaborators to join your team, as well as uh, 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 third-party partners, as well as clients. Because uh, understanding and asking those questions in many different ways during an onboarding period allows you to better understand in which direction they're really pushing Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like physics right it's like kind of like a vector right so so if they're going in that direction then we need to make sure that whatever we do is kind of aligned to that if we like it if it's ethically sound or if it makes sense and if it's correct uh, technically um, that we help them otherwise we uh, uh, pinpoint you pinpoint what is it that kind of a clashing point mm-hmm. and then where you disagree or you think differently or you know better. And then you say, okay, let's talk about that. Let's break that down and trying to kind of take them on a journey to upgrade their uh, uh, way of looking at things and the way of seeing things and, mm. and yeah. so on. So, yeah. And I've found too, is most folks don't, they rarely say one thing. Like I talk about objective. I like to think of it as priorities. Like what's, you know, what's your priority the next six, 12 months. And, you know, I always, it's always interesting if you ask, um, like, let's say they say three or four, if you ask to stack rank those, what's number one. And it's amazing kind of how you really, a lot of folks never thought about it. They want to do all these things, but they never thought about maybe, you know, what is the most or top priority, but also, is one number one, even though it's my top, actually the most valuable to start with. And I think this is where you come in from a coaching, from a consultant type standpoint. Um, but I like how you put it. Cause I think one of the, and one of the other things I try to get folks to, to look at, even I use from a sales standpoint is like, what does success look like? What, what if mm-hmm. a year from now we're talking, talk, talk me through what, what are you thinking about? What did we do? How did it go? Cause it's interesting sometimes I think, and you may get into this a lot is like, their thought of success is totally different. Like, well, wait a minute, there's no chance we can hit those. Like that's even like astronomical numbers, let's say from an e-commerce or, 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 you know, demand standpoint. So it's just kind of interesting if it's trying to get in their head a little bit about like, well, what do you actually think about this project? Is it some grandiose, like unbelievable thing, or is it actually potentially achievable? You know, I don't know if you go through that a lot where folks say, a, a key driver of, of this project and where they want to go. And, the, and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, yeah, maybe in five years, but not in you know six months. I don't know. Yes. Yes. Uh, in, in some shape or another, absolutely. Yes. And um, for example, one way that this uh, comes to life is when uh, um, an expectation is set on their side that a certain target is set for, let's say, you know, it's a revenue and whatnot or, or profitability or, or growth. And that's the focus. So on one side, their focus is too much of an, on an, on an output Mm-hmm. and not on the input and the actual levers that they can control, what's in their power to control, to generate that output. And that's big part of what I do, is yeah. take, take a step back, reframe what uh, what your real objectives are. 
is it really revenue or is it more profitability? Mm-hmm. Is it really growth or do you need to make sure you fit within the budget you've got and to, to make things work from, from a ROAS standpoint? Because sometimes the their objectives, like you said, their objective is set in a way or at a place that doesn't make any sense compared to the means that they have or to the real needs of the organization. So um, understanding, and, and the other thing, sorry, the other thing is uh, when you're looking at e-commerce, for example, I'm the first one, and I've been doing e-commerce now for uh, 16 years, and I love it, and it's ever-changing, and some things never change, and some things change all the time, but ultimately, um, I'm the first one to say that it's absolutely not rocket science. Like growing an online brand, it is not rocket science. It's like a, it's like a millefoglie cake, I say it's like many, many, many layers mm-hmm. of very different domains amongst each other um, because you've got your business planning, you've got your strategy, you've got your talent management, you've got your technology, you've got your performance marketing, your brand building, you got <laughs> your data. I mean, you get so many layers of completely different domains, but it is not rocket science. And all in all today, I believe most uh, business leaders know what are the ingredients of the of this uh, recipe, but the prioritization, what makes the most sense for them, for their organization, for their business, is what really makes the difference. Everyone knows that SEO is important, the performance marketing and your cost of acquisition should be within a certain range, that CRM is important, that you need a website that converts well, blah, 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 add another thousand points. Yes, but what is the most um, uh, Pareto efficient use of your time and your resources? Where can you really move the needle the most? And to be able to do that, you need to be fluent in multiple domains. You need to be, uh, to understand the, the unit economics of it all. And you need to be able to, uh, um, uh, make choices and pick your battles. You cannot tackle everything. You need to tackle the smallest number of levers, use the smallest numbers of levers to get your biggest impact. And then iterate and iterate, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. I'm not saying anything new here, but ultimately that is the game and uh, stay on top of it. And and also try not to get uh, uh, um, led astray uh, by the latest uh, uh, shiny gadget because that's a big in digital it's it happens all the time and that's a big issue especially for large organizations yeah well i think this goes back to having that shared goal because you can if someone can say hey my buddy at this company they're using this really neat widget or tool like hey can we do that and it's like well you can but that takes us off this strategy that we had, you know? So I think you got to, exactly. sometimes you have to herd the, uh, the cats a little bit when you're, uh, when you're, when oh, you're absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Especially people who, uh, are like in middle management, you know, I'm thinking like e-commerce directors or marketing directors and, and their teams, um, none of them times, unless it's a, like uh, uh, online only business, you know, like a tech business. So that's a different world, but I'm thinking consumer uh, uh, brands Mm -hmm. and retailers and so on. That team, sorry, the the executives above that team, nine out of 10 times and have absolutely no idea what their job is. They don't know what those levers are because you're 50, 60, and this is not to be ageist at all, but because it happens also with uh, um, uh, with uh, uh, younger people that just had a completely different uh, background. You know, you could put a 30-something years old finance person knowing absolutely nothing of e-commerce. And so you need um, to translate. You, they don't just need to do a great job at what they do. Mm-hmm. They're possibly the only people in the organization that need to do a great job because they're expected to do a great job because e-commerce is the highest multiplier kind of retail channel that you can have. Um, But at the same time, they need to teach up. They don't just need to manage up. They need to teach and coach up. And 
you know, you can you can take the horse to the river, as they say, but you can't make them drink. So make him drink. So um, sometimes they they just have a, a, a life, a work life that's harder than they than they should have. And so we also help those people by coaching those senior guys and teaching them not the basic technicalities because they don't care. They don't need to know that, but they need to understand the fundamental principles of how everything comes together from the tech to the marketing, to the creative, to the merchandising and the promotions and all that just so, so that those guys on the ground can actually do their job and don't have to babysit their CEO or their CFO and whatnot. Well, so let's do this. And if you're open to it, we might have to have like a part two down the road. Cause we, we didn't really, t- we didn't really get into like, if you're running a D to C brand, what you should be considering thinking about strategy. I think we can probably spend another hour just on that alone. Um, oh, I'd love to. So if that's game, well, let's end on this though, for, I think we'll call this part one, because it, we've talked a lot about kind of, someone kind of in your position, you, you decided to start a company, grew it a little bit, you, you decided not to like massive scale, because you like the boutique aspect and, and working more intimately with clients. So if someone's out there thinking about whether they're in a current job, and they're thinking of leaving, maybe they just recently left, you can kind of take it from whatever perspective you want. But is there any words of encouragement, insights, maybe it's a quote that you know, you kind of live by or read, um, you know, I like to say if there's a post-it note on their computer, they can look at it every day for that kind of pump of, you know, motivation. What would you share uh, with folks out there to, uh, to get started? Wow. Um, I would say, first and foremost, trust your curiosity. Trust what, which is very different from passion, like we were saying earlier. Trust your curiosity. Um, go down those rabbit holes. Um, it is magic what you can learn by just making the right researches on, on your phone. Um, you can learn anything. So trusting your curiosity to guide you in the direction that is more fitting with your personality and what makes you happy. And um, most important of all, paired with that is, uh, uh, you know, everyone is trying to figure it out. Everyone is uh, in the process of figuring things out. No one, no one has it all figured out. Uh, Warren Buffett has it all figured out. Elon Musk doesn't have it all figured out. And none of us, uh, you know, common mortals has it all figured out either. So everyone makes mistakes. Uh, the ignore job titles uh, job titles mean nothing uh, they're just human beings in a part of an organization and they make mistakes and they have uh, blind spots and so ultimately trust yourself your curiosity and let it guide you in the right direction and you know you can learn anything if you want to that's a great that's a great point we're gonna end on um Savarero, where's uh, where's everyone gonna say hello online to you? Where's the best spot? Um, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, Saverio Bianchi. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Saverio.bianchi, and that's really the main. Um, sorry, on Twitter is at Saverio Bianchi, uh, and you can uh, uh, read my blog, uh, SaverioBianchi.com. I started year ago or so I started writing about e-commerce leadership there um and uh, so yeah tag along and subscribe <laughs> this has been an awesome conversation i know it went on a, definitely down a uh, a side alleyway than we started on which is always awesome so i appreciate you coming on and, uh, and sharing your journey more in depth and uh, some of the things you've learned along the way absolutely my pleasure brian thank you so much for having me
Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out, or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, if you go to my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.